The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. Seven billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. So, dress listeners, this year actually marks the 130th anniversary of Vogue. Inarguably, the world's leading fashion publication. I mean, it's incredible, 130 years. And it debuted in December 1892. And of course, at that time, it really wasn't a fashion magazine. It like featured fashion, but it was more like a lifestyle magazine. Um, Society magazine. Yeah, society magazine. But then, you know, it started evolving and, you know, becoming the world's leading fashion publication. And it remains today at the forefront of all things fashion. It has... 167 and a half million social media followers, and Vogue has 22 and a half million readers around the world. And this is across its bevy of international editions, which began with British Vogue, which was launched in 1916, and now has grown to include, among other international editions, in Brazil, Italy, South Korea, China, Japan, Thailand, Ukraine, Germany, Spain. And today we are so pleased to celebrate the recent launch of its 28th international edition, Vogue Philippines. Vogue Philippines debuted this past September with a stunning 400-plus page maiden issue that presents a beautiful, powerful, and moving testament to the Filipino people, their country, history, culture, and distinctive fashion identity. You may remember from a little bit in the past, a couple years ago, from our episode with Gino Gonzalez on fashionable Filipinas dress listeners, that the Filipino fashion identity has been one that has been cultivated over thousands of years. The Philippines has an incredibly rich fashion heritage, and this is something that is really at the heart of Vogue Philippines, a publication that while highlighting Filipino fashion's present and future, never loses sight of its foundational past. And I really cannot say enough wonderful things about this first issue that represents a truly remarkable feat of artistry and storytelling. And what better way to learn all about it than with today's guests? We are so pleased to welcome the magazine's editor-in-chief, Bea Valdez, and fashion director, Pam Quinones, to the show today. 
Bea Pam, welcome to Dressed. I am so happy to speak with you today. Thank you for having us, Cassidy. We're so excited to be here too. Yeah, and the power of technology, you're joining me from halfway around the world. It's absolutely incredible. It's the morning <laughs> in the Philippines and the early evening here where I am. So it's such a treat to speak with you and be able to speak with you and to see you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're going to learn all about Vogue Philippines today. But first, I'd really just love if you could introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell us about how you both came to work in fashion. So um, my name is Bea Valdez, and I am the editor-in-chief of Vogue Philippines, the newly launched Vogue Philippines. And I came into fashion through design, basically. I have a company or had a company. It still exists that my sister is running currently. And we were really devoted to beadwork and embroidery and really celebrating the craft of the hand. So been a designer for almost 20 years doing accessories, clothing that eventually spread to public artworks and really just things that explore the capabilities that we can do when we work together with our hands. And Pam, what about you? So like Bea, I've been um, in the fashion industry for quite some time. I started in magazines as a fashion editor and then discovered the idea of styling and kind of just explored that craft into doing and building my own styling company. So I, I think I've been doing that for almost 20 years yeah. and still am now back in publishing again. I, at, at one point, about five years ago, we built a fashion rental company. So that's also something that I am still currently doing. Yeah. So kind of juggling three things at the same time. Uh, but everything is within the universe of the fashion industry. Oh, thank you so much for those introductions. And like I said, I'm so excited to talk to you both today. Vogue Philippines is really emblematic of just how far Vogue has come, literally and figuratively, from its American debut 130 years ago. So I'd love if each of you could tell me what it means to you to be a part of this historic publication. So for us, it's as you said, it's so historic and it's almost serendipitous because it's Vogue's 130th birthday and it's our first one. So we celebrate it on the same month with the September issue. And for us, it's been such a long time coming. I think the first ideas of the group that had brought Vogue in were maybe almost 30 years ago when it was a dream of one of the magazine founders. And then it was three years ago during the pandemic when the first real steps to making this um, dream happen began. And personally, I discovered Vogue maybe almost 30 years ago. So again, it's like a lot of birthday celebrations and it has always been this um, publication that has amused and delighted, surprised and, and just really captivated audiences through their fashion and through their perspectives and just the new ideas they always brought. So we're so thrilled to be a part of the pioneering team that brings it to our audience locally and also brings Vogue Philippines to the world. And you, Pam? I think every Filipino creative who grew up wanting to be in the fashion industry, I think has always dreamed of being in Vogue or at least have a Vogue that is within access to them. So I think it's a big thing, not just for us, for me and Bea, the whole team and the entire country. Like the Filipino creatives we work with every day, I think 
having Vogue come to our shores was such a big thing. And I think we never felt it as much as when we had launched and have met every single creative physically and having to hear all their um, feelings about it and how, I guess, deeply rooted the, the love and passion for, for storytelling that are usually through the pages of Vogue. So it's quite big. And I think also when we had launched, it felt like Vogue Philippines became a vortex for a global Filipino fashion community and a creative community. We get messages and it's it's really great and inspiring. We get messages from all over the world saying from Filipino creatives, we had, you know, we we previously had not been acquainted to or had no idea about coming to us and saying we finally feel represented. And it's it's really great for, for all of us. So yeah, it's it's quite a historic moment for, for Filipinos. Absolutely. And I love that so many people have kind of these like Vogue origin stories, like from when you, you remember when you first opened a Vogue. Um, and it, it, for a lot of people, it's when you're really young and kind of that's like your entry point to fashion, right? It was certainly my entry, one of my entry points to fashion. And I have to say, um, well, first, I want to say thank you to Mark Lewis Higgins for putting us all in touch. He's, of course, a past dress guest, also now a dear friend of mine, and I know yours as well. And, um, and without him, I never would have even known that this, this Vogue Philippines was coming out. So thank you so much, Mark. But also, so he sent me a copy of the magazine and I, the anticipation and receiving it, it just shot me straight back to my childhood. It was so exciting. There was just so much anticipation and it did not disappoint. I have to say congratulations on this <laughs> debut issue. I mean, what a feat of artistry and design and thoughtfulness and storytelling. You really both did an amazing job. So congratulations and your entire team, of course. Thank you. That's so sweet. Um, thank you so much. That's wonderful to hear. And of course, that's one thing for me to experience it as a the first issue as a reader. And of course, I'm an American reader. But it's another entirely to be such an integral part of its development and publication as the editor-in-chief and fashion director. And I'd love if you could tell us how Vogue Philippines, a little bit how it came to be and how you two came to work together. Oh, that's, that's quite fun, actually. I think... Um... As I said, it took three years for them to be able to, to get the license and were awarded that um, amazing opportunity. And then I think the management group started to build the team. Um, and when they had asked me for the position I'm in now, they did also ask for fashion director. Who would it be? And I, I said, only Pam. <laughs> because Pam is so well-respected. And I think she has a deep thoughtfulness and a real empathy for designers. And she has such a keen eye. And I think when we think about what Philippine fashion is and even moving forward into the future, it was really, I think, her vision that will help crystallize all of this. And she has a wonderful way of bringing people together. And I think from there, slowly, um, we started to build the team together because, again, we wanted to represent different regions. As you know, the Philippines is 7,000 islands. Actually, Pam is from one of the, is from Mindanao, which is one of our main islands. And I think we do have, our beauty editor is from Visayas originally. So as much as possible, even though we're located in the metro, we wanted diverse points of view and to be able to represent not just 
points of view, but also across generational. So it was really um, thinking about how we can build a team that would be as robust and could represent all of us as, as much as possible. And I think that's absolutely kind of that huge range of identities and peoples and perspectives um, that make up the Philippines is certainly on view in this publication. And the Philippine fashion identity, which you referenced, is something that is is referenced and made reference to throughout the magazine. How would you describe that identity, if you can? (laughs) And how do you intend Vogue to be its showcase moving forward? When we were really thinking about the maiden issue, for me, it really was integral that it was about identity. Because as I said, it would be this reciprocal relationship of introducing Vogue to the Philippines and Filipino creatives to the world. So we tried to look at what were the real touch points. And for me, it's always been based in craft. I think we work with our hands. And therefore also there's this tendency towards embellishment and embroidery and sort of decorative items. And I think another thing that's interesting is the mindset. We do a lot of made to order. So things, there's this intimate relationship between making of the garment with the client. So the relationship is actually deeper than maybe something if you are just buying it off the store. So there's so much personalization in the way that we craft things. So I think that's one of the things that really is um, inherent about the Philippine fashion identity. I'll kind of add to what Bea just said. This is something that Bea and I had talked about from the very beginning when we finally got the chance to sit down and speak about her plans for Vogue, which uh, finally (laughs) (laughs) we've been waiting for for months. You know, we kind of had a feeling about who's going to be um, getting the position and all of that, but we couldn't quite come together yet, you know, due to, I guess, the secrecy of everything. And when finally we were able to sit down, it was quite beautiful because she had shared her vision for Vogue during the time. And it's something that that I think was very important that I felt had never been addressed. The idea of the Filipino identity and how to communicate it and how to kind of dig deeper to be able to, to explore and have a dialogue within us and the rest of the world. I think it's something that, that was quite necessary to have that I just felt like I never had the chance to communicate or address maybe in the past 20 years that I've been in the fashion industry. So it, it was quite exciting, but also daunting because I think I had this conversation with Bea for the, I, I think for the longest time, we kind of know what the Filipino identity is. Um, you feel it as a Filipino, but you can't quite articulate what it is. And I think that is also something that I heard from all the fashion designers we've been working with, a lot of the creative people who are in the industry, they felt the same way. But I think when we had launched, and as as you've seen in our issue with the cover story and the words of Audrey Carpio of beautifully written article, I remember in one event, um, a designer said, Now I feel like I can tell people what the Filipino fashion identity is. And I think that was such a big moment, right? Because 
it's something that I think all of us collectively have been trying to articulate, but it's just so difficult. And I think it's coming from this perspective of we have been heavily influenced by the West. So we are such a hybrid culture in terms of thought, um, ideas, um, output, and it's quite difficult to create something that is uniquely Filipino or at least address something that's uniquely Filipino. But in the past, maybe 10 to 15 years, there's this global movement towards hyper-localization, which I think, uh, which I believe is because of the homogeneity of everything coming from globalization and the mass democratization of fashion we are forced to create something unique. And even the local, the, the young Filipino designers are feeling it. And I mean, more so now, they are forced to kind of look inwardly. And I think this is not just in the Philippines. I mean, I think this is a global movement, but I think it's really great for Filipinos because now you have all these Filipino designers who are really getting into the Filipino narrative, what it means to be Filipino and trying to explore what Filipino identity is for them. And in the 20 years I've been in the industry, it's never been more palpable until like the past five years. And I think this is something I told Bea in the beginning. I think uh, Vogue Philippines will be like the thesis that will try to answer whatever that is. It's an ongoing narrative and it's something that uh, Bea had mentioned in the very beginning of our meetings for Vogue that what could become possibly the, the ongoing narrative, the Filipino identity, is the coming together of the dialogue of the, of the insiders who are us, born and raised Filipinos, and outliers, Filipinos who have been all over the world. And that kind of um, coming together of dialogue will definitely become the global perspective for the Filipino identity. Yeah, and, and you touched on this a little bit, but but what better way to explore and articulate that identity than with a magazine dedicated to that very pursuit? Um, because, yes. of course, fashion's one element of that, but this is also a lifestyle magazine, and you have art and culture and food and all of these different things coming together within this one publication that's really representative of what Vogue has done for 130 years, Yes, um, but doing it in a way that centers the Philippines and Filipino people in a really, really beautiful way. Something I really appreciated about this debut issue is that it celebrates the present and future of Filipino people without ever losing sight of the cultural heritage and history that informs the today. And in fact, one of the very first articles in the issue is this eight-page spread dedicated to celebrating the trailblazing fashion designer Salvacion Lim Higgins, who, of course, we've done an episode on Undressed with Mark. Why is showcasing Filipino fashion history important to you? First, I think when as much as Vogue is always about emerging talents and the next unfolding moment, for us, it's always also about being rooted and honoring your roots. I think that is so important because that thread really does define who you are and who you will become. So I think that's why we always sort of have one hand still grasping into the past because we would like to honor them. And we also understand it is 
what they've done foundationally that allows us to sort of fly into new directions. So it's, it's just, I think, inherent in our nature. As people, we live in multi-generational households. It's, um, again, we are always so deeply connected and in, in different ways. We find means to connect, like you said, through music, we connect through food, through the enjoyment of food together in big um, festivals or with family again. So I think as Filipinos, we're always looking for these spots and these intersection points that bring us together. Like Pam said, connected to our identity, one of the things that we had thought about was this means of our being 7,000 islands and an archipelagic thinking, which is about being connected, not separated by seas and waters and horizon. So again, we also take that and use it as a means to interpret fashion. So I think in that line, we will always have this thread that goes back to the past and sort of moves us forward into the future. Yeah, and actually that reminded me of, of one of the articles in the magazine that talks about how rivers or water is so significant and that it connects all of you and doesn't separate you, which I think is just such a beautiful metaphor in, in so many ways. And can you talk a little bit about how you picked Salvacion? So Salvacion Lim Higgins, or Slim, was just um, awarded the National Artist for design, if I'm correct, if, that, if that's correct. Babe, for fashion. For fashion. For fashion, sorry. First so, time in 18 years. Exactly. So this is the second only fashion awardee, right? Yeah, for national artists. Slim has always been like a, you know, an inspirational figure in fashion. Um, it, this is something that we had been discussing with Mark Higgins, that the idea of Salvacion has always been, or at least the talk of Salvacion, it felt like a very fashion insider information not everyone knows about about slim but if you're a fashion insider you understand that slim is someone who really modernized the terno and really made it into something that kind of close to what it is now and what people believe to be terno is now and she is a modern woman who was a working woman during her time and we're talking about the 1940s where Someone, I guess a working woman is not quite, you know, a, a common thing. So she kind of evolved the terrain into something that actually works for a working woman, which is major, kind of like a major feature in the 40s and the 50s. And she also had a very keen eye in terms of what modern fashion was going to be. So she was able to incorporate very European elements and construction into the terno. But I guess in going back to your question why we had to focus, it's, it's really because she's celebrated in the country as of the moment, and we just had to echo that. And we wanted to be able to tell the story deeply. And so many more stories with the Salva about Salvation is going to happen actually in the next uh, year or so. Yes, very excited. And our listeners might remember, I mean, she opened her shop the very same year that Dior opened his in 1947. And she absolutely, and I've said this many times, deserves her place among like the pantheon of great 20th century designers because of, you know, she was just this master of cut and form and color and just such an incredible 
artist and designer. And I was just so thrilled to see that as one of the very first articles featured in this publication. I think it really sets the tone for what this publication is going to do moving forward. And as you mentioned, Pam, she's significant in that she modernized the Terno. And that's something that is actually highlighted in one of your articles, which is called The Shape of Now, The Shape of Now editorial. And really speaking to Filipino fashion identity, I would say that Terno is one of the kind of those like singular elements that is very specific to the Philippines. For our listeners who may not know, can you kind of remind us what a Terno is and how can a national, quote unquote, national costume be fashion? Because it very much is. And I don't think that's necessarily always the case. So obviously the Philippines is a tropical country. So the dress that we have, um, I think the Terno is reflective of that. So originally in its um, earliest form, it has four components. The first would be a camisa, which is an, a large overshirt, which is made normally out of piña. So it's pineapple fiber. So it's very um, lightweight. It's transparent and again, very easy to wear and it would have sometimes embroidery on it. And then on top of this, you would have, how shall I say, like a scarf that they call a panuelo, which goes over the shoulders and folds over the neck. And then you would have the saya, which is the skirt that goes all the way to the floor. And then you would have what they call a tapis, which is an over skirt. So it was four components originally. And um, although we wear it as a, for more formal occasions now, I think we saw a video actually in the 1930s or 40s where women were wearing them to the market just and going about buying things. And it was so interesting to see something that we treat as formal wear being used every day. And I think as it evolved by the 40s, what happened was parts of it fused together. So the Camisa and the skirt became one piece and the sleeves actually, which remained, they were oversized sleeves before and they were transformed into, I think, the butterfly sleeves, if I'm not mistaken, by Ramon Valera, who is, uh, again, a very important Filipino um, designer. And so now it is recognized as Eterno when it is sort of a whole dress and then it has these oversized sleeves. So that's in a nutshell, and I'm sure it's um, <laughs> it's much more academic than that. But it is, again, something that we wear originally during formal or significant occasions, um, just to give a sense of presence and a sense of um, importance to the occasion as well. And Pam, can you speak a little bit to what kind of this new generation of fashion designers today are doing with the Terno in terms of keeping it um, modern and bringing it into kind of the contemporary fashion scene? So we have a story in the maiden issue called The Shape of Now. And with this, our fashion editor gathered maybe 10 Filipino designers or more even to customize the Terno in, a, in their own aesthetic, but in a modern way. So a lot of these desi designers are creating two-piece, three-piece ensemble, highly embellished, or it could even be a one-piece. I mean, the Terno has evolved so much from just the butterfly sleeve that we, we know of now. And this is a point of contention in terms of what is called the Terno. I think this is something that we had been talking about with Gino Gonzalez, who I believe also had been um, in your show before. So the, the size of the sleeve is something that could potentially be called a terno or not. 
So this is still something that is an ongoing dialogue and it will probably will be and will never stop. But I think this distinctive three-dimensional construction, which is ironically um, a very Western influence to the to Filipino fashion. So this 3D butterfly sleeve is basically the starting point of the modern Terra now. So everyone, every fashion designer, I would imagine would have to know how to create a Terra and kind of infuse their own aesthetic, their own DNA, their own roots, and whatever point of view they would like to communicate. We also have, uh, I think it happens every other year, which is called the Perno Convention, which is the coming together of established designers and -and up-and-coming designers, creating their version of a modernized Perno. And it's really quite um, exciting. It's happening in January of next year. It's an ongoing process at the moment. And every year or so, we create new ternos coming out of um, contemporary designers, which I think is a great way to reintroduce the terno to the younger generation. And actually, in your next wave feature, you celebrate what you call a new generation of Filipino designer talents who are, quote, changing the Philippine fashion landscape. I'd love if you can introduce us to a few of these designers. Yes, we had um, seven designers. So we have Carl Jan Cruz, whose piece I'm actually wearing at the moment. So Carl Jan's label is a tribute to Philippines' long lineage of craftsmanship. During his time studying at London College of Fashion, when his classmates defaulted to European ateliers for their graduate designs, Cruz instead chose to work with the Manila-based, their, his Manila-based atelier, who he's been working with even though he was still, uh, he was a student in London. And he maintains his production in the Philippines and still works with the same atelier, you know, since before. He is known for his construction of denim and coats. He's worked with the local denim mills. I think he's one of the very few designers who've been exploring that narrative of what it means to be Filipino, what it means for me to be a Filipino living in London, and what I would like to say to the world as a Filipino. His inspiration usually comes from his own memories of his childhood with his family, and also the everyday things of you know you see in the Philippines. He famously created garment out of the good morning towel, which is a tiny towel that is commonly used in the Chinese community, or I guess Chinatown. And this is something that everyone sees every day in the Philippines. It's a white piece of cloth, terry cloth, and it says good morning on both sides. Um, A lot of our jeepney drivers use them, tricycle drivers. So it's something that is quite common. And he was able to create a garment out of it some, some years back, maybe five, eight years back. And it was a Kind of like a good dialogue of what Filipino is, but at the same time creating something extra, ex- extraordinary out of it in a very con- deconstructive way. I would imagine that would and uh, that's 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 how you would describe that, the garment that eventually landed on the back of FK twigs. So it was quite great for the creative community in the Philippines. 
podcast. As you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this (laughs) hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And then there is Jason Makatanga. He is a self-proclaimed late bloomer uh, when it comes to fashion. It wasn't until he was in university studying to become a nurse that he came across a fashion show for Comme des Garçons. And from there, he fell into this rabbit hole that would eventually lead him to leave his nursing career and study at CSM. When he graduated, he produced a highly lauded collection that showed his mastery over sculpture as a wearable art form. And then there's Anthony Alvarez, who is half Filipino. He's He lived all over the world, so he has a very multicultural household. His father is Filipino, his mother is French, and um, his collections kind of reflect the myriad of cultures that he experiences during his travels. There is a very 90 street style with hippie aesthetics of the 60s and 70s, kind of like a mix of 
I would say surf, skater, and hippie culture. So it's really quite cool. It's 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 menswear, but a lot of women actually subscribe to his aesthetic. And he was one of the designers who was shortlisted in the recent LVMH Prize. And we also have Nicomid Talavera, who is also a CSM alum and has been the designer for quite a while, but it's only recently that he started to consciously move towards the idea of his Filipino heritage. So his recent collection was a tribute to his late father, where he modernized the Barong Tagalog, which is the official national costume of the Philippines. Uh, for those who don't know what the Barong Tagalog is, it's in terms of fabric, it's quite like the, usually the, the terno, which is made out of pineapple fabric. So the sheer silk shirt that is transparent. So that's usually the Barong Tagalog. It's a formal piece of clothing that we wear in special locations in the Philippines. But even the Barong Tagalog is highly modernized now with our contemporary designers. Just last night, I watched a fashion show that showcased so many Barong Tagalogs with tattoo embroidery all over them. And it's something you can wear on top of like, you know, a t-shirt or a tank top. And it's something that has become unisex already. And it's just beautiful to see our national costume become something so mainstream that the younger generation would love to wear. So Nicomita is one of them who kind of, you know, modernized it in a way that doesn't look like the Barong Tagalog, but um, kind of infused the idea of the Barong Tagalog with pieces like a bomber jacket. So it's quite interesting to see. Um, if I may kind of run down everyone who, who are uh, part of the feature. So you have Seth Bagasau. So Seth grew up in, I would say, sort of city called Nueva Ecija. Or I think it might be a, a region. region. Yeah, region. region. Yeah. He grew up in Nueva Ecija and with his grandmother. So he only saw his grandmother wearing pieces that were custom made. And this really built or started his relationship with fashion. He would see his grandmother only wear refined pieces of clothing that were functional. So for his collection, um, the recent collection, he devoted that to the idea of craftsmanship and everything close to, um, like what Bea said, things that are made by hand, but somehow have this aesthetic that is very, very modern, almost like Japanese, but utilizing fabric and again, techniques that are quite common to what he saw growing up. And then there's Jude Makasina, who's the youngest designer on our list. Um, he also had just graduated from IFM, Institut Francais de la Mode in Paris. So he, he has a very kind of like fantastical um, narrative to his collections. Um, in, in school, he discovered his penchant for research as a mode of inspiration. Makasinag has an analytical eye. So anything from a boxer codex to an anting-anting, which is what is a Filipino term for an amulet or a charm, is his inspiration. So if you see in the issue, he created this, this kind of cobalt blue skirt that's, that's made out of tent material. So it's kind, of, it's kind of like this utilitarian common element that he mixed with an amulet for a headdress 
that also touches on, I guess, the point of the Filipinos being very religious. And I think he is also, he confesses that his family and he himself is quite religious. And then finally, there's Nina Amoncho, who actually just showed her collection last week here in the Philippines. She has this very personal approach to her designs. She looks at her designs as, or at least the stitches, the sketches, or any process of her collection as a page to her diary. So every collection is different because it depends on, I guess, her mindset, her feelings at that point or that given time when she creates her collection. And everyone is quite special because I feel that there's always this narrative about self and the sense of identity and the sense of Filipino identity to each of their collections. And I think now is more than ever is really the time when this is, this is becoming more mainstream, which I think is quite special. Yeah, certainly. And I think something that's also very clear throughout the magazine and that's also very much a part of Philippine fashion identity is sustainability, which was also something that was just so cool to see throughout this publication emphasized time and time again. It wasn't like it was just one article, but it was kind of woven throughout the magazine, which is really important to, you know, fashion today and the conversations we're having around our planet and the impact of the fashion industry Bea, I'd love if you can talk about why this is important to Vogue Philippines. And then Pam, I have a question for you specifically about one of your editorials. Yes, absolutely. It's it's so important. But I think what it is, is when we look at the fashion industry, I think what we wanted to sort of reshape was this idea of maybe a fashion ecosystem where every person on the supply chain is really inter, interconnected and woven into the next um, stakeholder. I think that way when we make decisions, we know that um, we don't do them alone and that it affects the, the person before us and the person after us. So I think in terms of sustainability, it's what we wanted to show was sustainability on our own terms, that it doesn't always have to be extremely high tech, but it's really about how you apply more mindful practices to the way that you do things. So like I said, the fact that we do made to order, which is less wasteful, or we work with natural dyes. And I think in the magazine, one of the stories we have is uh, about a manufacturer and a design company called Bio. Um, they actually did a piece for the magazine with Carl Jan Cruz, one of our emerging designers. And what's extraordinary about that company is, I know the principal, she is trying to work with farmers and trying to resuscitate the quality of the soil so that the cotton that they grow will be better. And then that goes on to the people who twine them into yarn, and then it goes into the dyeing, and then hand loom, and then into the design. And now she has a company that she started that deals with end of life of fabrics. So again, I think when we look at this sort of holistic point of view, and we see so many points where we might be able to participate in some way. It's it's really quite um, empowering. I think circularity and sustainability isn't actually so daunting when you break it up into little pieces that we can actually participate in. And that is so much a part of what we'd like to showcase in the magazine. Bea, Pam, thank you for joining us today. So many exciting things happening in the Filipino fashion industry cast, 
especially in the realm of sustainability. It is really encouraging to see sustainability front and center in this debut issue, and it really sets the tone for the publication moving forward. And of course, sustainability is something that we are going to learn more about in part two of our conversation with Bea and Pam on Thursday when we go behind the scenes of the stunning 36-page cover feature starring Filipino-American model Chloe Magno. But you don't have to wait until Thursday Dress listeners to listen to our two past episodes on Filipino fashion history. You can check out Fashionable Filipinas with Gino Gonzalez and then Fashioning the Philippines, Salvacion Lim Higgins with Mark Lewis Higgins. Also, head over to Vogue.ph to check out all the latest happenings with Vogue Philippines. And you can even snag your very own copy of the Maiden Issue at shop.vogue.ph. And believe me, dress listeners, it is a beauty. Check it out. Until Thursday, dress listeners, may you consider your own fashion identity next time you get dressed. Remember, we do love hearing from you. So if you'd like to write to us with questions or listener suggestions, you can do so via email at dressed at iheartmedia.com. You can also DM us on Instagram at dress underscore podcast, which is where we post images accompanying each week's episodes. If you'd like to take the time to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice, we do so appreciate it. Just like we appreciate our producers, Casey Pagram, Holly Fry, and everyone else who makes the show possible each week. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.